Okay, so thank you everybody for uh, joining in for this latest podcast, uh, where I'm joined by Professor Maria Elena Corteza, who teaches at the University of Genoa in Liguria. Um, and Professor Cortese is best known for her work on Tuscany, so the area region in the middle of Italy. And she's published a great deal um, on, on Tuscany, most recently a book, L'Aristocrazia Toscana, uh, from the 6th to the 12th century. So thank you very much for joining me uh, today, uh, Maria Elena. Thank you. Um, so in your book on, on the aristocracy of Tuscany um, between the 6th to the 12th century, you've got a chapter um, on, on the 11th century, um, which you call the short 11th century. And you talk in, in that about your view of what's going on with the aristocracy in Tuscany in this in this short 11th century. And I wondered if you could say a little bit more about what that chapter is trying to do. Okay, uh, well, the starting point for this idea of the short 11th century uh, was uh, uh, when I was studying the case of Florence in the 11th century, of course, which I analyzed uh, in detail some years ago. And what emerged there was uh, an important group of families, about 15 families, uh, which were not distinguished by titles or offices, but had very extensive uh, rural land holdings, castles, private churches, uh, sometimes private monasteries. And uh, some of them had uh, very dispersed estates in several zones of the uh, Comitatus of Florence. But uh, all of them established uh, political, social, and economical uh, connection with the primary wealthers of the regional power. These families, uh, all of them, uh, had these uh, connections with the regional powers, which was the Marquis, first of all, like the Canossa family in, in primis, the counts, like the Guidi, the big families of counts, mm -hmm. and of course the bishops of Fiesole and, and uh, Florence. And certainly these uh, uh, people, these family, uh, families, uh, lived in Florence for some periods of the year and had in Florence important holdings, urban and suburban. Mm -hmm. So it was clear that throughout the 11th century, a wide, a wide range of relationships kept the major landowners of uh, the territory engaged with the city, which was the real political focus of the Comitatus. Mm -hmm. um, after the case of Florence, I wondered whether or not it was possible to find uh, similarities in different cities, in different contexts within the rest of, of Tuscany, of, of course in that same period, the 11th, of course. And uh, the result was interesting because uh, if we see all the cities of the area which made up the Tuscan March, uh, we find one clear pattern in the mm -hmm. 11th century. We cannot say that all the aristocracies are uh, identical uh, to each other no. in every respect, but however, it seems possible to see very noticeable similarities. Mm -hmm. First of all, in my opinion, the 10th century can be identified as the moment of maximum expansion of the land base for these families, mm -hmm. and also the first moment in which they started to root in the countryside, 
especially with the encastellamento, the construction of uh, castles. But uh, in the 11th century, we must uh, uh, insist on the continuity uh, uh, of the connection with the central power. Mm-hmm. And also uh, we must insist on the continuity of control of fiscal assets by the royal power and also by some great officials, first of all, the Marquis in Tuscany, of course. Mm-hmm. Consequently, the aristocracy was not autonomous from the central powers and needed late public structures gravitate around the courts and the city to obtain uh, obtain land, wealth and power. So uh, we see the different uh, aristocracies in the March of Tusha gravitate on the urban centers. On the contrary, and this comes, uh, on the contrary, here comes the short uh, Mm -hmm. 11th century, which I used as an expression. the end of the 11th and the beginning of the 12th century seem to have been times of uh, change. Uh, in fact, during the uh, civil wars between the papacy and the uh, empire and uh, after the collapse of the march, uh, I can uh, say um, and remember that the Countess Matilda of Canossa died in uh, 11th um 15 uh, all this uh, system collapsed and it was not there anymore and uh, these aristocracies had in front of them uh, different choices first of all if they wanted to continue to live in the cities or to move out from them and uh, to be involved in the rise of the commune or to be a part and don't participate to it. In general, we can say that in Tuscany, only very few castle holdings, rural lords were involved in the rise of the communists. And we see the aristocrats gradually move to the countryside and concentrate on local rural territories, which they could now rule in much more depth using this new or not new, but developing uh, seigneurial powers. And that's okay. all. Yeah, okay, no, that's interesting. So the short 11th century then is kind of an extension really of the 10th century in this, in this, in this, yes. in this reading. Uh, and, and it's short also because uh, um, the, the last part is the, the, the change takes, mm. uh, uh, goes on in the last part of the 11th yeah. century. So the, the last 20 years uh, yeah. is already something new. Yeah, it's the 1080s onwards, right? It's when, it's when you yeah. see, and that's when you see these aristocratic families moving out from the city and basing themselves more on these, on their, on their, on their, on their, on, on, yeah, the on their rural, on, yeah, on the right. countryside. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, actually, you mentioned castles, and that brings me to my next question. Um, mm-hmm. Because in your book, and actually in your research, um, Maria Elena, the archaeology and castles in particular, but archaeology more broadly, um, you use this a lot, right, for your, for your interpretation, alongside documentary evidence, of course. And I wondered here whether, do you think, that in Italy historians are using archaeological evidence more than they used to, or actually has there always been a very strong relationship between um, uh, the archaeological and and the textual evidence? Uh, Well, uh, 
I must say that in Italy, uh, the relationship between historians and archaeologists in the study of Middle Ages has gone through several phases. Mm -hmm. So we should go back in time a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, if we see before the 70s of the uh, last century, of course, it was almost non-existent, these uh, relationships, because uh, um, there was no medieval archaeology as a discipline in Italy, uh, in the university. It did not exist officially. In 1974, uh, the journal Medieval Archaeology was founded, and this was founded mainly on the initiative of Riccardo Frankovic. And from that moment onwards, uh, a period of interaction between historians and archaeologists began, especially around the theme of the Incasamento. After that, uh, Pierre Toubert uh, published his very important book on medieval Lazio. And the main protagonists of this season of uh, cooperation were, of course, uh, Frankovic himself, uh, Richard Hodges, and Chris Wickham, I can say. Also, some pure historians uh, in Italy were involved, like Aldo Settia, for example. But uh, in general, the pure historians uh, in Italy showed a greater resistance uh, to it, uh, while in general foreign historians and Italian medieval archaeologists were more enthusiastic mm -hmm. uh, to understanding and using the results of the uh, research made by the colleagues of other disciplines. Uh, when I was attending uh, university in Siena, and I was a student of uh, Riccardo Frankovic, maybe you know it, uh, it was the early 19s. This atmosphere was still very uh, lively, but already it showed some signs of uh, decline, we can say. Uh, in any case, for me, uh, the medieval archaeology was real imprinting and uh, since my graduation thesis I have always carried out researches in which these two kinds of sources written and archaeological have, have, mm, must be read together. Um, in Italy since the 90s uh, this climate of uh, cooperation in my opinion has uh, uh, a bit died, uh, died down or better, we can say uh, two different things. Uh, as regards the study of uh, the early Middle Ages, everyone knows well that it is impossible to ignore the, da the data that, that come from archaeological research. On the other hand, as far are concerned, are concerned the central centuries, 10th to 12th, the disciplines, in my opinion, uh, the two disciplines have, uh, again, very separated. Mm? Mm. The most conspicuous exception among the scholars who study Italy is obviously critical. Mm. And also I like to place myself, even myself, a bit among these exceptions. That is, is natural because, after all, the teaching of Frankovic and also we come for me were 
very, very important. Uh, I have to say that in the last decade, however, things have again partly changed it, mm. especially in the context of uh, some major European projects, VRC projects, mm -hmm. in which these relationships between historians and archaeologists has become closer again. And the main themes uh, of this research, in my opinion, are at the moment two. The first is the role, the fundamental role played by fiscal lands in post carolingian uh, economic structure. For example, the ERC project Neumed origins of a new economic union, seventh uh, to 12th century, which is directed by Richard Hodges, <laughs> it's not the case, and uh, Giovanna Bianchi in Italy. The other uh, theme, uh, which is very important at the moment, is the productive and commercial development from the 10th to the 12th century, uh, which is a theme which has not been very much rethought by the historians after very classical interpretations made in the 50s of last uh, century um, with the very famous historians like uh, Roberto Sabatino Lopez and Cinzio Violante, but uh, were interpretations uh, which didn't use at all the contribution from archaeological sources because uh, there was no medieval archaeology there. This new trend, on the contrary, uh, now can be seen in, uh, in, in, two, in two books, for, on my opinion. One is one book, which is Mondi Rurali d'Italia, which was uh, a special monographic section of medieval archaeology, the journal uh, Medieval Archaeology, uh, directed, edited in uh, um, 2010 by Alessandra Molinari, uh, where the, the where, um, in which there were many contributions by the archaeologists and also three contributions by historians, which was myself and uh, Chris Wickham and Sandro Carocci, and also uh, about Sandro Carocci, the ERC project which is directed by him, uh, which is uh, called uh, uh, Petrifying Wealth, uh, the Southern shift to masonry as collective investment in, in identity, uh, is directed by um, Sandro Carocci and Anna Rodriguez. And uh, also in this project, uh, we see a very strict connection between archaeologists and historians. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think, yeah, um, it's funny, isn't it, to think there was no medieval archaeology before the 1970s, uh, which, in, as you said, say, there was no discipline, right? And I guess that, yeah, um, it was, everything was focused, I suppose, on the classical past, right? And that was the period you dug up. Yes, and, yeah. that, that, that's, that, that's right. Um, um, very often there were excavations in which uh, archaeologist was just uh, looking for um, Roman remains, uh, Etruscan remains, and did not consider at all these very thin layers mm. uh, coming from the medieval, uh, especially the early medieval, yeah. medieval period, uh, which is was uh, and it is almost invisible in mm. uh, in some excavations. So in this period 
um, people like Roberto Lopez, who was at Genoa before he went to America, are creating mm-hmm. narratives about how we think about European economic expansion, which is still very influential mm-hmm. today, even though when yeah. he wrote those narratives, there was no medieval archaeology. So I guess, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the impacts of all this archaeology, which is now, which has been done, how that is going to change um, the, 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 the historical narratives we've inherited, right? So Lopez, his idea of the commercial revolution, how far that holds up with yes. the new archaeology. And I guess that's, yeah, I mean, those are the projects. Um, um, we'll, we'll find that out through the projects you, you've been talking about, right? On, on fiscal lands, so that's royal lands, public lands. Um, and on, yes, the kind of turn to using stone um, rather than wood, basically to 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 build to build things up but um and that that leads actually very nicely on to my next question for you uh maria elena um which is really on uh, on italian historiography more broadly of the 11th century and how you think that has been changing you talked a bit about your work but i wondered what what, how, how how do you think i mean do you think italian historiography on this period has changed more generally well, uh, in my opinion, we can um, see two major, major issues on which Italian historiography during the last 10 or 15 years has developed a new periodiza- periodization. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is, the, again, the economic development, the, economic, the great economic growth, uh, which I mentioned in the previous answer Mm -hmm. and the other is the affirmation of the rural lordships Mm -hmm. um about the the first one okay uh, economic development um we uh, now begin to have data that question this deep-rooted idea of a strong dynamism Mm -hmm. of italian cities that began long before the year 1000 I refer, for example, to Violante, Milano, the very beautiful research on Milan, mm-hmm. which is now uh, a little bit questioned by this uh, new data. Uh, the most recent readings on written, of the written sources, and also, mm, not also, first of all, the archaeological data tend to indicate the 12th century as the true moment of this medieval takeoff of the Italian economy. The 10th and the 11th centuries do not seem to be phases of generalized economic expansion. When I, what I mean when, when I say generalized, I mean that we must not look only at the early development of cities like Venice or Pisa, because that's different from or the rest of the territory. And uh, so we don't see in the, in the rest of Italy uh, this widespread diffusion of the exchange economy and the full affirmation of, c- of the cities as centers of specialized craftsmanship, for example. Uh, on the other hand, uh, in recent decades, the research shows that from the beginning of 12th century, uh, evident innovations are visible. The first is the widespread diffusion of imported port- pottery from the Mediterranean, not only in Pia or Venice or uh, in, in few places, but 
really very spread. Then the local produ productions were uh, developed and more and more articulated and of uh, much um, of better quality. Mm -hmm. A widespread circulation of money appeared for the first time. Uh, also, the uh, urban uh, uh, buildings exploded. I mean, new city walls, private towers, cathedrals, and also private uh, houses and so on. And also in the countryside, the stone for building was used uh, in a massive way by specialized craftsmen, both in castles and in many churches. And also large villages were founded ex novo, they were new in the country, in, in the countryside with mm. architectural models we, which were really uh, coming from the cities, urban, we can say. So in conclusion, all the data converge to indicate uh, in the course of the 12th century, a leap in the quality of economy. Uh, an availability of sources uh, or resources that was not there before. And this allowed to change in, in a radical way uh, the material structure in the cities and also in the countryside. So in this way, the 11th century comes out a little bit scaled down. Mm. Uh, I don't know if is the right expression in, in, in English. Yeah, yeah. It means that yeah, it is. Okay. From, from this analysis, analysis, it seems to be a rather a bit static mm. at an economic level, more similar to the 10th than mm. to the 12th. Okay. The other uh, theme is the rural, rural lordship. Um, here we have to confront with uh, many uh, historiographical contexts. The first is the Italian historiography on rural, rural rulership, uh, which had a continuist, uh, continuist sorry, approach, mm -hmm. reading this genesis in a long-term perspective from the light, late 9th to the 12th century. Then we have the French historiography, of course, and the feudal revolution. So a brief phase of very strong change uh, uh, this fragmentation of counties, duchies, and duchies, and so on, uh, around the year uh, one thousand mm, that all we know. So I don't make names <laughs> like Duby and so yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, then we have uh, recent stu recent studies, uh, uh, Bison and you also, <laughs> Charles West. <laughs> that uh, have uh, valued the phase between uh, the, uh, yes, the 11th and the 12th century as a moment of great change. And also some recent uh, studies on medieval Italy, uh, myself for, for Florence and Tuscany, Alessio Fiori for the Northern and Central Italy, Paolo Tomei for Lucca. Mm -hmm. uh, we all propose a new chronology, um, in, in few words, political, social, and economic change seems to have taken place not around uh, the year 1000, uh, but in the decades around uh, uh, 1080, uh, 1130, uh, with a clear break in the past. Uh, 
there were the civil wars uh, I have already mentioned between the papacy and empire. We see the decline of the last public structures of Carolingian origins in Tuscany, the march uh, of uh, Tusha, Marca Canossana, in Piedmont, the Marca Arduinica. The aristocracy, as I have said, which gravitated on cities uh, since the early Middle Ages, uh, tended to took root in the countryside. Uh, there was a very, um, very strong weakening of traditional public powers and the fragmentation of the territory into smaller lordships. Changed also the attitude towards violence, uh, which uh, Alessio Fiore uh, has underlined very, very well, because it seemed, seemed to disappear a sort of limitations uh, which were present only up to a few decades earlier. Uh, there is a big increase of uh, castles. Uh, the encastellamento explodes <laughs> in, in the very sense of the word, and uh, also increase the functions of the castles for the control of uh, the rural districts. And uh, in general, we have a, a very strong militarization of the rural society, uh, the increase mm -hmm. of knights, milites, and other... Uh, figures uh, who used to be on horseback and uh, to be uh, to help the domini uh, to dominate. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Okay, so there's a. It sounds then, uh, yeah. Your view of this, Maria Elena, is that the 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 recent Italian historiography has been really about postponing that moment of well, putting in a moment of change, but putting it a bit later than than. Other historiographies, yeah. Okay, so 1080 yes. is the new 1080 is the new year 1000, right? In this, in this, in all kinds of ways. Um, I'm really interested. You talked um a bit about 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 cities, especially at the uh, as the first of your kind of changes just now, and the way in which yeah we should not um um impose kind of dynamism, urban dynamism on the on the 11th century when it's more of a 12th century thing except for except for Pisa and 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 Venice and you know these great but yeah they're isolated studies um but I'm intrigued by that because it has been said uh, that Italian historiography has is dominated by the rise of 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 communes so it's kind of it's 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 kind of shaped by the history of cities and I wondered if you still think that's that's true well, it is absolutely true <laughs> that the rise of the communes is the most important of the great narratives of the Italian Middle Ages. That's true. Uh, in the in Italian historiography, uh, the role of the cities is completely central, huh? starting from a, a very old and very well-known essay by Carlo Cattaneo, La città considerata come principio ideale della storia italiana, which means ideal principle, mm -hmm. is the, the, the very spirit. <laughs> is the city. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah, the city. Um, and this, this thing was uh, very well underlined by Chris Wickham in, in, a, in an essay, Early Middle Ages and National Identity, mm -hmm. uh, in, in which uh, he told that uh, Italian medieval history was considered essentially an urban and particularistic history. Uh, because in Italy, the great narrative of the failure of the Carolingian and post-Carolingian state was considered not so central, not so important, since uh, the true 
history, uh, Italy took place at the level of the city and its territory. And uh, we can see that even today, of course, the trend of communal studies in Italy is one of the more, most lively, very uh, strong current of uh, studies. However, we can see also that something is changing, uh, especially again, two directions. Um, the first is uh, that uh, of saying that rural, rural lordships and uh, the comuni are two sides of the same coin. Uh, um, we use this expression in Italian. I have uh, it works in English too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the same. Okay, that's okay. Um, because this period uh, between again the end of the 11th and the beginning of the 12th century, uh, traditionally also in the communal studies, has been uh, um, seen as a as a moment, fundamental moment for the or origins of the. Uh, of the uh, comuni in the in the cities, because this phase of uh, of of, of uh, war among the papacy and the empire, with the crisis of these uh, traditional political and religious leaders, the collapse of public institutions, have seen like the breeding breeding ground in which the first. Uh, communal government uh, did germinate. But in recent years, again, uh, was uh, uh, very, very important for this uh, theme um, because uh, uh, the attention to this transition phase uh, extended to uh, other areas of research. For example, the, the change in the forms of justice and more generally in conflict uh, resolution, the eclipse of the last great Marxist dominations with the strong public origins, again, the Marca uh, Toscana or Canossana, and the changes in the functioning of ecclesiastical institutions, of course. Uh, all these are very different uh, uh, perspectives, but on the wall, they contribute to uh, enhancing this phase even more, uh, which, is which is increasingly emerging as a moment of very strong uh, acceleration of the social and political processes throughout the Renum Italia, and not only in the cities, so everywhere, countryside and cities. For example, as I said, Alessio Fiore uh, recently observed this break in the countryside uh, in all uh, northern and central mm -hmm. Italy. Uh, so rural lordships uh, uh, and communal autonomies, uh, as I, I have already said, are two sides of the same coin. Uh, and, and this coin is the definitive decline of the public institutions of Carolingian tradition uh, in a few words. Mm -hmm. uh, this, the second uh, theme uh, we can... Um, consider is uh, the so-called territorial recomposition, um, which uh, the Italian historiography traditionally has always been seen uh, only uh, for the cities. Uh, what I mean, um, until a few decades ago, almost exclusively the cities were considered as 
protagonists of uh, the processes of territorial recomposition. Mm -hmm. Conversely, since uh, some years ago uh, and onwards, also some big families of the high aristocracy, uh, counts, for example, the Count Guidi in, in, in Tuscany, which were holders of large lordships, uh, are seen uh, and putting in place uh, attempts to create complex territorial areas and um, they aimed at coordinating the minor rural lordships and the rural communities in more complex um, units, uh, territorial units. And also the role of the empire uh, in the early Swabian uh, age should be very re-evaluated. Uh, so these are the two uh, lines of research I see, of, of course, of, of the most important, like the most important. It sounds like there's a, a rethink. I mean, cities obviously is always going to be important in Italian historiography, but it, there's been a rethinking of their place, I guess. It sounds like in the how they fit into and actually are maybe part of wider processes of change. And it's really interesting. You kind of, you know, the, we often write off the empire right in Italy, but actually we shouldn't do in the 12th century. It kind of yeah comes back right after after the after these 1080 problems. But that's, uh, thank you. Um, um, that leads me on to my, my my next question, which is something we've talked about a little bit already, but the way in which um, often um, study, the his, especially medieval study, a study of medieval Italy is, is regionally defined. So um, people study regions or, or sometimes cities within regions, um, but it's, it's quite, it seems to me from the outside looking in, um, quite fragmented, I suppose. So you get specialists on, on, on one area who have a slightly different historiographical background from specialists in another. And I, I guess, I mean, is there is there an Italian 11th century, in inverse commas? I mean, is there an, an you know, or, or is it just a kind of um, cluster of, of, of regions? Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, yes, in, in a sense, it is a cluster. <laughs> mm -hmm. But well, certainly in Italy, uh, especially for the central century, so again, 10 to 12, uh, the regional historiographies tend still to be distinct and to identify the specificities uh, that characterize the different areas. And I think this stems uh, in part from the fact that, as I have said earlier, medieval Italian history has been considered, considered essentially an urban and particularistic um, again, uh, we, we go to that uh, question. Mm. And uh, however, uh, things are partly changing, uh, as it seems to me to emerge from these new lines I have already mentioned uh, earlier, which concern at least uh, the war central northern Italy, uh, uh, which is the Italic Kingdom and Lazio, mm. also the Lazio is with them and uh, in in some respects these new lines of research i think relocate the italian experience even without disregarding its particularities of course but they relocate the italian experience in a more Euro european context especially for these two things the role of rural aristocracies which uh, is 
is uh, it has to be com uh, compared with the uh, the role of the cities uh, and also the role of the central or imperial power, mm -hmm. uh, which has been a lot uh, neglected in, in, in Italian historiography since many years, but now is changing. Yeah, that's interesting. I think this, I think your, that point you made about this is in some ways a legacy of how the historiography is built out from cities and that has uh, contributed to this kind of fragmentation is really interesting, but also then that there are signs now that that's, it's coming together, although I guess this would mean then that southern Italy looks more different, right? In that, you know, if, if there's a cluster of places which look quite similar now in the north, then there's a yeah, there's a there's still a kind of border within 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 uh, Italian history. But that's, uh, um, yes, yes, that leads me. I mean, well, well, well it, it leads me on to my next question. Um, and this is really about and kind of moving on from national history to international history. Um, there's been a lot of everywhere in the world. Um, research including historical research is is that there are pressures to for it to become more international um, and those work out in different ways in different places of course um, and I wondered what your impression was of how the internationalization of research in history is being felt in in, in Italy well uh, of course also in Italy we are trying to do uh, international research mm -hmm. And uh, uh, since uh, some decades, uh, especially, it's, uh, it is made thanks to the big ERC European projects. Uh, and also uh, the Italian Agency for University and Research uh, asks more and more for international um, activity. Uh, but uh, mm, in the reality, it, it is still not so frequent to find Italian scholars who study the medieval history of other countries. Mm -hmm. uh, the contrary is more easy uh, to find. Mm -hmm. um, a big difficulty to me seems to be also the, uh, the language. In the sense that uh, language uh, limits the dissemination of the results of Italian research abroad. Uh, much more translations would be needed. Um, for example, uh, I know that uh, um, a project uh, financed by the Italian government, uh, which is now carried out in uh, Trento University, will be entirely fully published in English. Um, I can make an, the example of a colleague who has uh, recently proposed an, art, an article to a prestigious uh, English journal, uh, which was refused not because it was uh, not a good article, but because uh, uh, this research was seemed seemed to the. Um, this journal, that the topic was not of great interest to an English audience. But what I think is that uh, could be that this topic um, uh, has, has not been so uh, translated uh, in English from Italian. So it's, it's just not very known. It's not mm. nothing. I don't think that English people are not interested in mm. these topics, but they uh, sometimes do not have the means to read uh, really in uh, in Italian, and not not only in England, of course. But uh, when you 
uh, don't translate in English, it's very difficult for uh, a, a lot of countries to, to read you because Italian is not so um, known uh, as, a, as a language abroad. Uh, yeah. I think that's all. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very interesting. I think, um, um, yeah, it's, I mean, partly then it sounds as if uh, it's international research needs to become more, you know, more aware of what's going on in Italy as much as, as much as the other way around. But also I'm interested in your point about the importance of writing in English, because I, I know that in, in some, you know, there are many historians um, outside of, the UK in particular, um, who are not always very happy about this kind of the the right the, the the apparently unstoppable rise of English as a as a lingua franca, um, which can yes. disadvantage I people know. obviously who don't read English, but also creates problems for teaching actually and creates a kind of gulf between the the people who write in English and, and their students who might not read in English, right? But anyway, oh, no, this 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 is progress, perhaps I, I don't know, but um, let me let me finish. We 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 should we should think about finishing. Um, um, uh, so let me ask my final question, uh, which is just what 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 are you working on? What are you working on at the moment? <laughs> okay, well, uh, something very different from mm. from everything I've made uh, <laughs> since now, because uh, since a couple of years, two or three years, uh, about after the publication of the book on uh, Tuscan aristocracy in. Uh, in Four years ago, it was the, the, the publication. Um, I began to think about studying a non-Tuscan area. And uh, thinking and thinking, then I chose to study Ravenna mm. for various reasons. So I've changed it uh, completely, uh, the area of my interest. Uh, the reasons, uh, as I said, are various. Uh, the first is that... Um, Ravenna society uh, is well studied for the Byzantine age and also then up to part of the 10th century, uh, why afterwards there is a very notable rarefaction of studies. Mm -hmm. The other uh, thing is that also for the 9th and the 10th centuries, the available studies, including recent ones, uh, I mean, in describing the Ravenna society tend to be based uh, on old genealogies elaborated by Buzzi, which who was an historian who worked more than 100 years ago. So wow. they're yeah. very, uh, yeah, they're very old. And uh, there is a lack of really able prosopographical studies on the aristocratic families in the Exarchate, which is the territory of mm -hmm. Ravenna, in particular, in particular, the families of the dukes, mm -hmm. and about their patrimonies, the family structures, political role, and so on. The other thing is that in the past, until a few decades ago, there were problems in accessing the Ravenna written sources, most of which uh, were preserved in the archiepiscopal archive, that is an ecclesiastical archive, not a public one, with mm -hmm. problems of access. While currently the uh, sources uh, has been um, almost entirely published uh, for the centuries from the 8th to the uh, 11th. Uh, it's missing the 12th century. Um, therefore, it's possible to undertake a large prosopographical study, which with, sorry, updated methods criteria. Uh, and that's exactly what I'm 
I have started to do. <laughs> Currently, I have come to examine the documents until the end of the 10th century, uh, but there is still a lot of work to be done, of course. And the first results of this research is an essay that I have just proposed for publication, with, which deals with the production of salt in the Po area mm -hmm. uh, and with the role of fiscal assets mm -hmm. in the economy of this area between the 9th and the 10th centuries. But my ambition is to write a book ah, okay. <laughs> about well, yeah. society uh, uh, or, or at least the uh, aristocrats uh, of the of arena and the territory. Mm -hmm. The XRK around it. Well, this sounds fascinating, and it'll be very interesting to see how your experience of working with the aristocracy in in Tuscany and kind of that area, how that how 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 things look, I guess, in the much more Byzantine influence era of Venice, will be kind of fascinating. Uh, this uh, what what a wonderful project! I, I look forward to. Well, I think we all look forward to reading reading that when it comes out. So yes. Well, thank you very much for your time, Ray. Then it's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Chats. Bye.